Hello and welcome to another Expert Insights show. Each show, your host, Donna Hansen, interviews an expert on the latest trends, ideas, philosophies, and approaches that impact on productivity, performance, and profit, both in business and personally. And now, here's your host, Donna Hansen. Hello and welcome to this Expert Insights show. In this Expert Insights show, we are speaking with Tracy Stuckroth. Managing dietary needs and is a new reality and it's here to stay. Some of them, things like food allergies and celiac disease, are legitimate, potentially fatal needs that must be accommodated and really aren't the trendy whims of a spoiled population. Sure, special food requests may sometimes reflect preferences and intolerances rather than true life-threatening allergies, but millions of people must eat certain foods to stay alive. A former event planner with her own food allergies, Tracy Stuckroth consults and educates clients and audiences to understand the real impact on personal and organisational productivity of food intolerances and allergies in the workplace. It's a really interesting topic. Whilst it may seem like more work, not considering the food intolerances and allergies of others can impact on your own and your organisation's productivity. To find out more, here's Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hey, Donna, how are you today? Super. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Firstly, welcome. As a meeting planner, which is where originally what you were, um, how have you seen changing dietary needs impact on productivity and effectiveness in meetings, not just the big events, but even simple boardroom-style meetings? It def- dietary impacts have definitely impacted meetings and events, um, both positively and negatively, Um Those individuals that you mentioned that are on a whim, um, their requests, although not necessarily um, not, I don't want to say not legitimate, but they're not life threatening, have made it a little bit challenging for meeting planners um, and hotel catering companies to know if it's a true allergy or if it's a preference. Mm -hmm. So that is that's that's a little bit of a challenge, but. The needs for individuals, whether it's medical conditions like with a heart disease or with celiac disease or food or food allergies, and even with vegans and vegetarians um, or even with religious-based practices, it has made a big impact on the meetings industry. And when you don't accommodate those needs, you're excluding those individuals from the meal function. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat at a dinner table or a banquet table and my food comes out 20 to 30 minutes later than everyone else's at the meal. And so you've not only impacted me, but you've impacted the other people at my dinner table. Because for the most part, we've all been trained or taught to wait till everyone has their meal to eat. And so either their food is cold or you, you're basically eating alone at the end. So that impacts that productivity in the sense of inclusion and feeling part of the group. And that's interesting because, uh, you know, you're quite correct. Uh, you see that quite often. And um, uh, I think sometimes in a larger format or any sort of format, it makes the person who has those needs feel a little bit uh, undervalued or less important or makes makes it more obvious. And sometimes people don't want it to be obvious that, that they want or that they need something different. And they've tried to do everything they can to make it easy. Very true. And, and even you mentioned board meetings and I was talking to a vice president of human resources a couple of weeks ago and she's actually a vegetarian diabetic. And I, and I was talking about how, you know, when you order 
you know, meals for staff meetings and everybody orders sandwiches from the local deli. Yeah. And potato chips for me. And so I don't feel satisfied and I don't feel part of that group and I'm, and I'm left out of that. So it, it actually impacts that. And she's a vice president yeah. and they haven't taken into her dietary considerations. So it does, yeah, it does make things awkward. And I think um, it can take away from where you are in a, in a meeting or a conversation or, or an event. So, um, so if, you know, I, let's just say I, I don't have a food intolerance and, and actually I don't, I have a food preference personally, as I'm sure some people do, you know, it might be as simple as, you know, I don't eat seafood uh, because they don't like the taste or I don't eat red meat or, you know, I, um, I choose not to eat gluten or in my case, I'm a vegetarian. So uh, if, if I don't have a food intolerance, as mm-hmm. opposed to a preference, um, how does uh, you know food intolerances impact on my productivity? I think it's it's kind of the same way because it's it's like that vice president I mentioned. She's a vegetarian, and sometimes there's everybody orders just the turkey sandwich. Still excluded from that food function, even if you aren't, if even if it's not a life threatening activity, and you can take that into consideration with. Um, religious-based practices as well, because there was an event where um, four they had five um, appetizers being served, and four of the five contained pork, and so that left out pretty much all religious-based practices, you know, kosher and halal followers, because they don't eat pork at all. So it you taking those things into into consideration, and as that person who's got a dietary preference or, um, and I don't think religious-based practices are preferences so much, but it does, I think, still exclude you from that meal function. And when we sit down at a table, we're all there to bake, break bread. And, and I was reading something the other day. It's like, how many conflicts have been resolved around a dinner table mm-hmm. or, you know, and how many bonds have been created around a dinner table. And it, it's just amazing what it can do. And and I think you make a great point there about, um, you know, the sharing of food as being a an experience as opposed to a function uh, that we undertake. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, my thought, you know, working in that productivity space is, you know, if I have a food intolerance and that's not taken into consideration, um, I start to reflect on on my own feelings. Some people might just simply go, oh, well, uh, you know, there's been a muck up and uh, yeah, I just got to get on with it and I've got to keep focused on why I'm here, whether it's at a, a larger meeting or a conference where I'm trying to concentrate or whether it's in a boardroom where you're discussing the state of the nation of your, um, your organisation. You know, you have to bring yourself back on track and and um, mentally consider how you let go of that so that you can be productive. And that takes time. And sometimes I'm sure there's probably people that, you know, step into that place where they go, um, you know, my needs haven't been met and they totally focus on that and aren't able to focus on what they're actually there for. So true. And and then if you, if it is over a food function and you didn't bring something in your purse, now you're starving the whole time. So not only are you focusing on, hey, they didn't think about me, but I'm also starving. What do I have to eat? Yeah. You know, and, and, and 
you need that burst of energy from from food to help you sustain your um, your focus and your productivity. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we've considered some reasons why food intolerances um, can impact on productivity. Why is it so important for uh, businesses to really consider this and, and not just go, oh, well, too bad? Um, I think the three terms that I use pretty much regularly are there's legal, ethical, and financial implications to it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the ethical ones are you're, if you're in a workplace, you're cre- trying to create a sense of belonging for everyone. And it that impacts productivity. And if somebody doesn't feel like their needs are being met by their employer, they're going to their productivity is going to decrease. They're not going to feel like they they're valued at the job and they may start looking for another job. And the cost of finding a new employee, if somebody chooses to leave and that was the reason, the the cost of finding a new employee is I think about 30% of what their salary is. Mm. So, I mean, why not learn how to retain that client or that employee from doing that? That's a financial reason right there. I mean, it, it just to order a vegan pizza for somebody it costs you 10 bucks versus how much is it going to cost you to find a new employee absolutely yeah. and i i think um this is all part of a much bigger picture but it's a piece of the puzzle that perhaps um you know we, we haven't necessarily considered because in many organizations there's been other priorities and that's not to say that this is less important but you know it's important to be aware of how things like this can impact on us on our organization not only productively but you know those financial ethical that belonging sense and legal implications because I'm guessing if something goes wrong with this uh, there can be some fairly major consequences wholeheartedly definitely so in the here in the united states eating as well as our all of our major bodily functions like um digestive system and the immune system they were all added to the americans with disabilities act back in 2008 so almost 10 years ago and that prov- um provides coverage to people with food allergies and celiac disease and diabetes they are now considered to have a disability and that means as an employer, you have to accommodate those dietary needs or you could be seen as discriminating against those employees. Wow, that is interesting. Uh, yes. And if somebody, there's, and in the UK, there's a law, it's the corporate homicide law. And if someone gets sick and or dies at the workplace, they're not going to come after you. They're going to come after the company, the, the government is, and saying you're liable for that employee's death if that happened while they were working for you, whether they were off-site at a meeting or if they were in your workplace. And so that has some legal implications to it. So you don't want to take, you know, you don't want that to happen. And I'm finishing up a chapter in a book anthology that I'm contributing to. And there's a case here in the United States um, of a kid, a 26-year-old young man who is anaphylactic to peanuts and tree nuts and he got ridiculed and harassed by his general manager at his restaurant at his store and by his employees they threatened him to say his EpiPen was going to um give him AIDS they made him eat cookies that were secretly had peanuts in there and the they settled out of court and he no longer works there but 
I don't even want to think about how much money Panera had to pay to to him for the distress that they caused in the workplace. Mm, so that's uh, that's another thing, you know, workplace bullying, because often people yes. uh, will often, um, you know, something or someone that's different when people don't understand um, often humour is a way of dealing with it and whether or that whether that's appropriate or not, you know, I guess um, uh, is is a position that you take depending upon the circumstances. Exactly. And bullying is not just from little kids. It goes up, adults do it all the time. Mm. And mm. you have to understand, you know, it may be somebody on the outside might take it out of context, but I have friends who are like, my friend Kathy, for example, is like, I get tired of people will you eat gluten-free oh that's why you're so skinny or why do you eat that way and and having to constantly bring up and explain why you eat a certain way and and although that's not bullying per se does get old yeah having to explain it it makes you feel like there's um something wrong with you right and and that you're you, you can sometimes feel like maybe uh, you know people are questioning or, or you know but I guess people are only seeing it from their own perspective, aren't they? Right, and and I I kind of joke. I'm like, we don't go to the store and buy this dietary need, and for and we can't go back to the store and return it. Mm-hmm. You know, this this came upon us, and it's something that unfortunately food allergies and celiac disease are not curable. You know, there's no medicine to take for them. Um, type 1 diabetes is not, you know, you have insulin and you can manage that a little bit, but still it's an issue and it's managed through diet. And I so, guess too with, with something like um, diabetes, if the food intolerance isn't considered within the framework of a meeting, uh, you could have someone uh, collapse and have a medical emergency. The same with anaphylaxis. You know the, the correct. You yes. know, so, and some of those sorts of things. Not only do they, they're definitely going to impact on your productivity in the workplace, aren't they? Not only for the person affected by it, but for those people who witness, you know, some sort of um, medical emergency like that. It can be quite distressing, uh, in in so many ways, and and have much um, far farther reaching consequences, can't it? Definitely. And there's this um, restaurant in Atlanta who they were having a, a one company was ha- hosting a dinner for a, one of the groups and it was like 10 or 12 people and, or maybe it was a little bit more than that. But anyways, they had not cons- told the chef that this person, somebody at the staff had peanut allergy mm-hmm. or tree nut allergy and nothing that was served that night from the restaurant or cooked at the restaurant had peanuts or tree nuts in it. But the company had brought in a cake from out of town, from from an offsite venue. And on that label, it said made in a facility with tree nuts and peanuts. And it was served to this woman and she died Hmm. that night at their dinner. And I think it was on the way to the hospital. But but all of those people who were there attending that dinner, that completely impacted them because they witnessed someone going through anaphylactic shock and dying in, you know, basically in front of them. And I don't want that to happen to anyone. Mm, mm. So clearly, you know, that's some of the results of people not paying, paying attention to food mm-hmm. intolerances and the consequences of them not having stuff like that on their radar or, or taking it as a very superficial tick-the-box type thing rather than making it a part of process. So that brings me on to my next question. It seems like 
well, when I say it seems, I guess if I look at it, you know, I can understand it a bit more. But it seems like it's just another thing that organisations need to worry about. Does it does it have to be hard? And are there a few things we can do to minimise um, the impact of this on our own and our organisational productivity? And I, as a meeting planner, I, I quote unquote joke to meeting planners that I know you've got a lot on your plate, but you know, and I'm adding one more thing, but it is such an important aspect to do to incorporate. And it just takes asking some questions and, you know, ask, do you have any dietary restrictions that we need to take into consideration to ensure that your dining and experience with us is the best that it can be? And I suggest using checkboxes versus, you know, open-ended questions so that because checkboxes make it a lot more clear Mm -hmm. and a lot easier to sort than an open-ended question um, or answer does. And I think doing that and then then you're able to give a report back to the chef or to your catering partner saying this is what we need. These are the dietary restrictions that we need. And then say if there's however many people are gluten-free, create a menu that's completely gluten-free or make sure that the entire meal is peanut-free. That's not that hard. Mm. Or if somebody's got shellfish allergy, make sure that nothing served has got shellfish in it. So taking those things into consideration, and that shouldn't cost you any more money to make a, a meal shellfish-free or fish-free, It's um, but it's making that environment safe for everyone so here's an interesting question um you know and i'm sure well i'm I'm pretty sure this is something you've probably come across there's a lot of people that might um, be familiar groups so maybe it's a working party that works together uh, and there's a sense of familiarity about what they do but when it comes to you know organizing uh, food and catering for a, a meeting that's going to run all day or something that's going to run of a night time or, or um, snacks you can sort of get past in a way but once you start getting to those main meals it becomes a bit more of a challenge for somebody with a, a food intolerance or an allergy to sort of I guess some minimize or go oh I'm not really concerned about the fact that um, I can't eat any of the biscuits at morning tea but then you know some people might be but have you found that there's a sense of um, people feeling reticent or embarrassed about the fact that they're in groups where you know each other really well but maybe uh, your dietary requirements have never been considered how could you canvas that question in such a way that you know it didn't make you feel like you know, we don't really know much about this person. Does that make sense to you? It does. And there's a couple of examples. And I think the question, if you're, if you are doing a meal like that and you are having people register or in, if not even register, but sending the question out in advance, make sure you send it out to every single person so that you can get the answers back. Um, but my friend David used it having learned what I do, he started um, a practice where he sends, when he's having a lunch and learn for his clients, he sends out um, the ve- the vegan, the gluten-free, and the regular menu to everyone who's attending and says, please pick off the menu what you would like. And he was telling me the story of a that he had heard that one of the new guys at his client's office was hard to deal with. Well, this guy had a food allergy, and or, or and he by David sending that to him, he made an instant connection with that man, 
and was able to create a bond that helps build that relationship going forward. And it, that added to it. And then by another story I was recently told was a gentleman, this lady was sitting next to a gentleman who was, um, followed a halal based diet or, or maybe actually Hindu vegetarian. And the only thing that was being served was chicken salad. And instead of actually asking for another salad, he just ate the lettuce that was underneath the chicken because he didn't want to be embarrassed and didn't want to embarrass himself and ask for something else. Mm. Um, a term that I recently heard about from my friend, from Jessica Pettit, who's our friend in National Speakers Association, the term is called covering. Mm. And we do it a lot, no matter if it's a food allergy or whatever. There was a story that I read that this woman, an African-American woman, um, she usually wears cornrows, her hair in cornrows. Mm -hmm. But when she goes to work, she feels like she can't do that. She can't be herself. Right. And so we have to create these environments, whether it be the way I dress, the way I wear my hair or what I eat, we have to create environments that are open and welcoming to everyone. So there's a really good point there. It, you know, it's not just about food intolerances and, and preferences is really a label, but this is just the, the bigger picture is about inclusiveness, isn't it? Yes. Very much so. So I think that one of the key things I got out of that was um, uh, checklists are far better than emails. And, and I'll give an example. I'm speaking at a, a conference in a few weeks. Uh, sorry, actually, it's next week in Singapore. And I got an email from the conference organiser uh, saying that there's an off-site dinner that they'd like me to attend. Um, did I have any dietary needs? And I thought, it, just as you mentioned that, I thought how much easier would it be if they had a checklist and said, here's the details, rather than somebody writing back freeform and saying I'm vegetarian or I'm celiac or, you know, and in some countries as well, those words aren't necessarily words that are used and they may not be familiar with them. So having checkboxes is sort of a much easier <laughs> way for you to be able to sort and categorise. And I hear a little chuckle there. Have you got a story? No, I just think checkboxes are so much easier to do because you get people who write in, oh, I only eat chocolate, you know, or I must have chocolate at every meal. And, um, or, you know, there's I don't this know. Kind are, of are you Are you joking there with that? <laughs> or are they joking? Or like, I mean, I'm guessing you've seen that sort of stuff. Exactly. And so people are joking and, you know, and, and um, but so you using checkboxes, I think, is a much clearer way for communication versus because if you do an open ended question, people write in and you are you by whatever they're writing in, you're taking and making an assumption mm. and and or you could be misconstruing what they're trying to say. So I think checkboxes are much clearer opportunity to do that. And when I do when I teach meeting planners when they're creating the registration forms. Here in the seats, if they're having the meeting, I actually say if you have, when you're asking the question, do you have any disabilities that need to be taken into consideration, including seeing and hearing or, or mobility issues, add the food issue there, add the food question there as well, and make that question mandatory. So then you're getting, do you have any food allergies? Do you have celiac disease? Do you have heart disease? So you know that it's a true medical need. Mm -hmm. And then you can ask for preferences and that would be your vegans and your vegetarians and your um, halals and kosher. But 
you also do have to note that being a vegan may be a medical diagnosis as well. So if you have heart disease or stroke, you may be on a vegan diet for medical, you know, given to you by your doctor. And and yes, and not to make assumptions. Correct. And, and, and I guess the, the thing as well is that um, some of these things that are preferences are choices. They're lifestyle decisions people have, have chosen and, it's, and people need to be mindful that it's not up to anyone to judge people for that. Correct. I was talking to a woman who is um, vegan yesterday and she actually works for the, Atlanta, or for the Humane Society of the United States and she's... She's a vegan. She's reducing her meat and her consumption. She doesn't eat any kind of meat, animals, chicken, fish, or anything like that. But she's not so hardcore that every packaged food that she eats is certified vegan. Yep. So she's just reducing her meat consumption, her animal product consumption versus... But she's slowly incorporating reducing leather from her... From her time. Um, to do that. So she's slowly doing it that way as well. But it's their program is to reduce consumption of animal products by 20% a week. Mm. And that's just one day. So mm. go one, one day a week without eating anything from an animal, from an animal. And you will not only make yourself healthier, but you can also help save the earth as well. So, Tracy, you're based in the U.S., as, as we said before. Are companies in the U.S. investing in helping their teams understand how allergies and intolerances can impact on our productivity? And if so, are there any incentives for them doing this? Um, I haven't done a lot of research on that, but I'm, my overall comment would be probably no there's a there's a big push for employee health and wellness but and and there's a new push for well employee well-being mm -hmm. and that's what my chapter in this book coming up called humans at work is about is well-being is more of that holistic approach of looking at your employees not just what their their numbers are um, but you know, how do they feel in that workplace how do their families feel as part of that you know your environment in the workplace as well but looking at you know are you labeling in the company cafeteria and I went through a company cafeteria last two weeks ago and nothing was labeled it with if it contained any allergens or if it was gluten-free or if it was dairy-free you know those are the things that you need to start taking it into consideration in your company cafeterias in your vending machines as well so that people know what they're eating and it's it's that conversation of transparency and that's a big word um that's coming out you know or being used a lot right now um i think globally you know we want to know what's in our food mm. and and i think companies are starting to get there but we we still have a long way to go so what i'm hearing is at the moment there's random occurrences of things happening like you mentioned the the lady collapsing and and dying as a result of a peanut allergy something else around bullying in the workplace so do you feel it's almost in the u.s and and potentially globally at the moment it's a bit like um this is something that happens to other people i think so and i think I, that sorry yeah I think, no, that, I think that, um, you know, what happens is as the, uh, the randomness uh, increases and becomes more frequent, that's when people start to stand up and pay attention. I, I guess it's a bit like um, safety on the roads. 
Correct. Yes. And, and as the number of people with food allergies increases, and I mean, the number of people wanting to know what's in their food and eating healthier is, is definitely increasing globally. And, but we have to look at how that, what that means, and not just in encouraging them to eat more plant-based, but also being transparent about what's in the food that you're serving. I, I can't go, one, one food and beverage director at a hotel is like, well, people with food allergies can just go through the buffet and they know what they can and cannot eat. Well, that's not true because there's hidden ingredients. I don't know what kind of broth that you put in that um, vegetable soup. Did you actually use chicken soup in the vegetable broth? No idea why you would do that, but some people do do that. Yeah, you know, because they think it has an, a richer flavor. But you've just now made that that soup in inedible for somebody who's a vegan or vegetarian. So, thinking about it, and those that is more steps to take, but it's also kind of documentation. You know, being product product. Um, being productive when you're creating those menus, what are those ingredients that you're using? Make sure they're documented. And I guess, um, you know, most of our foods have ingredients lists on the side, but, you know, some of the languaging that's used, it's hard to tell um, whether something is is or isn't containing an animal product. I mean, up until recently, I wasn't aware that uh, traditional jelly, gelatine, uh, is actually a, bi- um, a beef byproduct. Correct. Yep. Nobody knows that. Interesting. So um, I think we've we've sort of answered our questions. Question. One of the other questions I had was um, how can managers or individuals see uh, whether this may be an or check in to see if this may be an issue in the workplace and some of the signs to look for. And you mentioned, um, you know, one of the simplest signs being is there labelling in the cafeteria or uh, in vending machines or in, in anything that's provided in the workplace. So, for example, some organizations these days are um, you know might have a fruit basket that sits in the the kitchen or the you know the, the lunchroom whatever the languaging is that you might use that has fruit now you know fruit should be fairly self-explanatory for people to be able to make a selection but once you start to get into more complicated things like even people bringing in you know a birthday cake to share because um, it, it's their birthday you know, a lot of the time they're not going to know if um, if that contains something that could be harmful to others or potentially, you know, somebody might not want to raise that they've got some sort of allergy, like a nut allergy or something where even if they touch something, they might have an adverse reaction to it, so let alone eat it. Yes. And it's it just providing information and letting other people know, hey, we want to make sure that our our kitchens are safe, the food that we serve is safe, and that our employees are safe and healthy. So in that, it's in our food, you know, just to, because if you, if you label it, then I can go through that buffet with pretty much with ease, like everyone else and not be embarrassed by, Hey, I'm choosing this to eat just the potato salad, you know, or whatever. It's just what I choose to put on my plate versus what I can and cannot eat. It doesn't, you know, it's not that way. That conversation doesn't come up. Absolutely. So Tracy, you've shared some amazing insights. Before we wrap up, what are one or two things or two or three things we can do as individuals, regardless of whether we have an allergy or intolerance to minimize the risk of this being uh, a problem and and impacting on productivity our, our own or our organizations? First thing would be to ask. 
you know, ask your guests, ask your friends, hey, is there any, let us know if there's anything that we need to take care of food allergy wise, dietary needs wise, you know, with the food that we're ordering, let us know how we can help. Or if it's a potluck, and, and then start labeling them. If people are bringing in potluck, make sure that everybody's labeling what's in the food that they are serving. And if they use prepackaged foods, that means they have to read those labels as well um, to make sure it. And you could provide little, I have these little cards that I made um, that are like business card size or name badge size. It says this item, the name of the item. And then underneath it, it was little check boxes. It contains the following allergens. And you can check it off when you turn in your dish for your potluck. Mm. And then that way, um, it's easy for everybody to read. So definitely asking the questions, labeling the food, um, and doing some lunch and learns. You know, if you know somebody is a vegan in your in your um organization or you know somebody's gluten-free have them host a lunch and learn and let you know what so they can educate you on what it means because some people don't know what a vegan means and somebody doesn't know what gluten-free means and what you have to avoid when you are gluten-free so let them because a lot people are a lot more prone to um be caring if they learn about it Absolutely. And be more proactive about it if they learn from the person versus just making an assumption about them. And I'm also guessing, too, that if you are in a, a group that, that works together regularly, just making even casual conversations part of uh, your revealing about each other. You know, it, it, do you have a dietary yeah. intolerance? You know, and it doesn't need to be we're in a big group and let's all let's all go around the room and say whether we've got a dietary intolerance, are we anaphylactic, all that sort of stuff. But just in a conversation saying, um, hey, Tracy, um, I've noticed that when we have... Um, uh, when we have a meeting and we have something to eat, um, you uh, you don't eat any bread, and you might that that might be enough for you to say, oh yes, that's because I'm celiac, and they, oh mm -hmm. okay, I understand. So it's all about uncovering uh, the personalities of the people you work with because we all know that when we work uh, with people closely, and we feel like people know us and like us and we're building those relationships we actually get more done because we feel like people understand and get us don't we wholeheartedly yes and so, it builds stronger relationships yeah. absolutely so tracy you've given us some fantastic insights if some of our listeners want to find out more how's the best way for them to contact you um, my website is thrivemeetings.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E meetings.com. Mm -hmm. And you can shoot me an email at info at thrivemeetings.com. Fantastic. Tracy, thanks so much for your time today and for enlightening us on the impact of food intolerances on our own and our organisational productivity. Thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights show. For more information on our services, visit donnahanson.com.au or the three W's, primesolutions.net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Expert Insights show. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe via the podcast page on www.donnahanson.com.au or through iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn or Stitcher. Until next time, as Donna says, don't forget to work smarter and not harder with technology.